I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this week... Well, we thought we would go way back to the third episode of the Purple Patch podcast. And in fact, the very first interview that we did. And it was with our keynote speaker for this weekend's Performance Reset event, Sami Inkinen. Yes, Sami the Bull. Now, you might not know Sami, but you should. Why? He is a beacon of performance in sport, work, and life. He's a longtime Purple Patch athlete and also a great friend. And I would say that our coaching relationship was one of those special ones because I view a special coaching relationship as those ones in which both coach and athlete really, truly develop because of the relationship. Sami improved as an athlete. But our process and journey helped me become a better coach and much more beyond. So who is Sami Inkanen? Well, firstly, most importantly, he's a husband and a father, married to Meredith and two wonderful children. He's Finnish, his home is in America, and he's best known probably for being the founder of Trulia, the real estate search engine. And that is when we began our work to each other, where the company was in its very early stages of development. Over the five years that I helped Sami as an athlete, Trulia grew and expanded and ultimately went public and then went on to be sold to Zillow, all under the stewardship of Sami. But over those same years, Sami, a keen endurance athlete, became a beacon of time-starved training. On a recipe of just about 10 hours a week of training, he won almost every amateur race possible in triathlon, including becoming the amateur world champion at both the famed Hawaii Ironman World Championships and the Ironman 70.3 World Championship distance. In the years following, not happy with all of that, well, he took on a quest to row across the Pacific Ocean with Meredith, his wife, from San Francisco to Hawaii, a solo adventure taken on in record-breaking time, all with minimal consumption of carbohydrates. And now, Sami's latest adventure, Verta Health, a thriving company with the quest of reversing type 2 diabetes without surgery. And their success has been quite stunning. Once again, Sami finds himself right in the vortex of a rocket ship business, but this time it's with real drive. Sami is righting a wrong. Now, in today's review of our discussion that was now almost three years ago, Verta Health was just ramping up, but I thought it would be really nice to hear a review of that conversation. I want you to treat today's show like a taste, like an appetizer, because this Friday, this very Friday, in just a couple of days' time, Sami is the keynote of the performance reset. And once again, we will sit and have a talk. And it will be, I promise, a talk 
for the times. Sami is planning to go through four critical elements of performance in life, work, and sport. Purpose and finding value, the critical importance of routine to create stability, and accountability and community. All elements that are infused through his personal life, his athletic life, and the operations of Verda Health as a business. It is quite a launch into the Performance Reset event. Day one, a cracker. And I tell you, I couldn't be more excited. But today, we're going to lay the groundwork, the Sami Inknan interview. Episode three of the Purple Patch podcast, but still so relevant for the time. Now, before we get cracking, I thought it would be nice to do a little squatty update. And yes, for the squatty update this week, we're not going to go through performance reset promo. I've inundated you with that a little bit before. What I want to do is provide insights into where our athletes are right now. Now, we've got athletes all over the shop of wildly different levels. People that are getting ready for races with prize purses of over a million dollars to people that are absolutely harboring no ambition to have a start line of any sort of event whatsoever. But if we talk in the middle of the bell curve with the vast majority of our athletes, we're in what I find a really exciting time. Because globally, we're not chasing events right now, and we're kind of just getting into our own reset. We're finishing up the last of our full challenges. And in the coming month or so, we're going to focus on really three main things. The first is a mental and physical reset and pause. Because to move forward effectively, we must draw the lessons from this most adverse year so that we can set the stage for our upcoming year of performance. The second, hand in hand with that, is we're going to do a little planning. Whether they're coached individually or a squaddy, it's time to build some big, hairy goals that are going to spark just enough fear to be meaningful, but excitement to amplify action. Individual goals that will fit into the collective puzzle. We're going to share our goals with each other. We're going to support each other so that within the community, we have that really good tug of accountability and support that really is a key ingredient for any athlete to be successful. And we're preparing to step out of the chaos and be proactive in our performance in 2021. Whether it's one of our pros, a newbie, a triathlete, a fitness enthusiast, or a trail runner. And finally, we are getting ready to launch into our preparatory phase, what we tend to call postseason. And that's a phase of training that has lower training load, so less mental and physical stress, a lot of skill development and technical focus, and most importantly, the patient development of skills, tissue resilience, and health. And so we need to take the next couple of months to truly prepare the body to be able to train and absorb that training, then adapt to it. And I think it's really the most critical phase of training for long-term success. But it's also really fun because it really sets up the platform to retain health, to create the roadmap of consistency, but also develop the big meaningful gains that we're all after. 
And it begins, well, about the 1st of December. And what a wonderful way to start. You know that it's not too high of a cognitive load. It's a great way to navigate the holidays. But at the same time, it's not all-consuming. And that's really fluid and really fun. And so I invite you right now, as the same with our squad is, to fasten your seatbelt but catch your breath. And if you're not sure how to approach the coming year of your own personal performance, whether that's in sport or life, and then I think it's a great way to actually, coming back to the performance reset, jump in, kick off with the performance reset. Because I promise you, and I do promise you, it will stimulate inspiration. And if you're inspired, then action will come behind it. And so go to the weekend, enjoy it, then we can have a chat on how you can establish accessible but really scary, big, hairy goals and march into 2021 on the performance train. So with that update, it all sounds quite nice, doesn't it? But what's that sound I hear? Oh, it's the plucky ukulele. Yes, it's time for Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the wings of Yes, the word of the week this week is more. More. Yes. You, and I'm talking to you, you can achieve more than perhaps you really think you can. You are stronger than you think you are. We are inundated with stories of people achieving exceptional things. We hear lessons of high performers sharing their secrets of how they chart their success. We draw lessons from the very best across disciplines. But you don't have to do something that's going to make headlines, except the headlines in your heart and mind. And I'm afraid that too many people fail to take the first step of a goal as they fall into the belief that they're just simply not capable, that they weren't born with the ability to achieve something massive for themselves. But let me tell you, you can do more. You are more. You are stronger than you think you are. But what it takes is the first step, making the first action, about being able to create a little tiny small victory on top of which you can build another small victory and on top of that another one so that these little tiny victories are part of the fabric of your routine. Not to be great tomorrow or next week, but over the long term. And so no matter the craziness or the shit that you've had to navigate this year, I think it's time to look forward. It's time for you to be more because you can be more. You are, and I mean this, stronger than you think you are. But if you don't believe me, if you look in the mirror and you question yourself, if you can't quite work out how to take the first steps, but at the same time you know you want to believe and you want to take the step, you just can't find the route, 
then join me this weekend because I promise you that you will learn. I promise you you'll be inspired. I guarantee you that you will leave with the first platform of belief that you can be more. And so this week, the word of the week is more. Be more. Become more. As you are stronger than you think. It is my promise to you. And that is why the word of the week this week is more. Now it's time to get on with the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes, and as mentioned in the introduction, it is time for the one and only Sami Inkinen. Now, I invite you to listen to Sami's lessons about time-starved training and effectiveness in work and life. Since this interview was recorded, Sami has gone on to build a company that is having a massive impact on how the medical world approaches diabetes. He is, once again, an industry changer. But he's on a serious mission to right or wrong. And so if today's review sparks a little intrigue, and then Sami's session at the Performance Reset is unmissable, I invite you personally to head to performancereset2020.com and grab your ticket. It is this week. November the 13th to 15th, all of the sessions recorded and accessible after the event. Ladies and gentlemen, it is on. But right now, we go back in time to my first ever interview on the Purple Patch podcast. I give you Sami Inkinen. I hope to see you this weekend, and I guarantee you, you'll like this one. See you next week. Back to regular programming. Take care. All right, guys, so it's our first guest on the Purple Patch podcast. And for me, there could really be one, only one massive part of Purple Patch over the years, the one and only Sami Inkinen. Sami is the CEO of Verta Health, an online specialty medical clinic that reverses type 2 diabetes safely and sustainably. He's also the co-founder of Trulia, which he took in conjunction with his co-founder, Pete Flint, from creation to public and now being acquired by Zillow, and a massive member of Purple Patch Fitness in conjunction or on the journey in parallel with going up to Trulia, and that journey is a, a reasonable triathlete. He was the overall amateur champion at Wildflower, Alcatraz, Hawaii 70.3. He's also an age group world champion at the Ironman 70.3 distance, and perhaps what he's best known for in his triathlon world, going under nine hours, pointed out to me today twice at the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. And that's impressive in itself, but I think that it's even more impressive when we realize that it's set on a training regime of somewhere between 10 and 12 hours a week. So, Sami, thank you very much for joining us. Well, Matt, thank you so much for having me, and it's a great honor to be the first official guest on your podcast. You are the very first, and today we're going to talk about athletic and human performance. So what I really want to do is explore that intersection of, of sport and work-life performance. And before we dive in, because you've got such a, a fantastic story, you've got uh, an annoyingly nice story for, for, for everyone listening that I think will appreciate 
But what I'd like to do is go all the way back to begin and, and understand your background. You're obviously from Finland, but tell us a little bit, both in terms of, of education, but also your sporting background as you were sort of growing up before you came to the States. Yeah, well, once upon a time, there was a chicken farm. Um, so absolutely, I, I grew up in Finland and, you know, I grew up on a farm, so I was reasonably active and I had to be reasonably active because I had to get to school. So I oftentimes, uh, believe it or not, cross-country skied or biked to school two, three miles already at the age of six or seven. Um, I did a fair amount of cross-country skiing growing up, and then I also competed in a sport called biathlon, which is cross-country skiing and okay. shooting. So that was really my background growing up. Um, and then, so I did a fair amount of endurance sports before coming to America 2003, at which point I was already in my mid-twenties. And uh, the... So, so the the structured sports growing up, you were, it was less team sports. It was more sort of stuff outside that was suitable. So biathlon, I think most people know, but it's it's shooting and cross country skiing essentially, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So it was a fun sport growing up because you have this both mental and physical element that you are skiing as fast as you can. But the faster you ski, harder it is to shoot. And when you're a teenager, it's I found that it was a fascinating sport to be part of. I did play a little bit of soccer as well, um, but that was only a couple of years. Uh, I always gravitated more towards the grind of endurance sports for whatever crazy reason. Which lives on. So what, what was the decision to come to the US? Was that first Stanford Business School? Is that why you, you originally came here? Timing-wise, yes. That was sort of step one. So I came to America 2003 to attend and complete, fortunately, my second grad school, which was the Stanford Business School. But what was really driving me was the desire to just get into America. And uh, it's still difficult to get into U.S. legally. Uh, <laughs> so my way of doing that was, was the business school. But really, I was excited to come to Silicon Valley and as an entrepreneur, build something here. And I, I thought, if I get to a school here, I should get a two-year visa. And sure enough, that's what happened. And that's how I came here. And is, is that where you met Pete Flynn? Yes, so my truly a co-founder, Pete Flint, uh, also from Europe, uh, also a physicist by training. Um, so he attended Stanford Business School at the same time, and we became friends, and we thought two immigrants from Europe, both with the physics background, uh, that perfectly qualifies us to take over the real estate industry in America. Exactly, and so and so out of Stanford and, uh, and your relationship with Pete was... Um, was born Trulia, and um, and so what I want to do is I want to dive into the performance side a little bit straight of that, rather than just talking about uh, the journey at, at, at uh, Trulia. I think it's really interesting right at this point because you are at this time coming out of Stanford. You were active. You've always remained active, and and you came from obviously going through school, and you're starting this company now, but. While we're having the conversation now in 2018, I think there's been a, over the last few years, there's been a really big shift in the way that people globally view performance as, as a big umbrella. And I think, in, in my opinion, it's trans, transitioned from this isolated state, so how you perform at work, how you perform in your health, if you perform in health, but you understand what I mean, um, performance with family, etc., and there's a, to, to adopt a trendy phrase, there's been a real shift towards this sort of concept of the optimized self, if you want to call it that, where it's a really integrated approach. But 
to me, right when I met you, which I, I think was in 2009 that we met, you were already an adopter of this mindset. Um, so was that, when did you get interested at that sort of interaction of health, sport, work, performance? Was that right from the start? Was it something that you just did without thinking about it? Or was it a sort of a, a decision that you made? Well, uh, growing up on a farm and being pretty athletic, I was always interested in uh, health, wellness, and sports performance. However, there was a pretty transformative experience that happened to me perhaps a year before we met um, that completely changed my view on what, what you call global health and global performance. And that was, I definitely had this mindset of the more you can do, the harder you can work and perhaps less you sleep, uh, better performer you are and more you can succeed and accomplish in your life. So what ended up happening to me uh, I think it was 2008, so it was three years into building Trulia, was that I started getting sick quite a bit, just sort of flus and fevers and that sort of things. And then uh, I started forgetting things and words and words and names of my colleagues. And yes, English is my second language, but it's pretty embarrassing when you don't remember the word for banana, for example. And so what I realized was that I was definitely burning the candle from both ends. And although I was still, you know, doing reasonably well in sports, um, it was kind of like train hitting, you know, the wall 100 miles an hour. And I realized that you have to take care of sort of the platform and platform of health yourself in terms of sleep and nutrition and everything. Or otherwise, you really can't perform at work. Or sports, so that was kind of a wake-up moment for me, around 2008, uh, which really has colored my view on what human performance is and how do you perform at perform at the optimal level, whether it's office or the race course. So, so in many ways, it, it it you know you're you're growing trulier, and there was this this transitional moment. Is that really when you started taking triathlons seriously? Yeah, it was 2000. Yeah, it was 2008, um, and I had this view that the more hours you train, the faster you will become. The more hours you work, the more effective you are. And you know, it's pretty silly now for me to even think about that. I had that kind of a mindset, which, if you talk to Olympic gold medalists, it's not that the more hours you work out, the more likely you're going to win the gold. And if you think about being a CEO or founder of a company you have to be creative you have to be on top of your game so pulling all-nighters every week it's probably not going to make you creative and smart and thoughtful or even happy in in front of your team yeah for sure and you know so shortly after that you've you've become a uh you're 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 in i think now your fourth year in trulia when i when i met you and it's it's still very much of its sort of progressive growing stage isn't it it wasn't the empire that it became if we're going to call it that um but uh taking you know the triathlon it wasn't just an escape and i think that's important it wasn't just oh i need something else right from the start it was this sort of integrated mindset of i'm going to do this but at the same time and do you think it's just your competitive nature that it wasn't just about staying healthy you still wanted to be a high performing athlete at the same time yeah um yeah absolutely i think one driver of 
my excitement to to pursue uh, triathlon was definitely that competitive nature. Oh, it would be fun to compete again because I hadn't really done that for many, many years. Uh, and then I think secondly, uh, which has driven me in pretty much anything I do is this sort of a pursuit of excellence that you discover something that's interesting uh, and somehow rewarding. And then you realize that it, there are unlimited ways in which you can improve and that journey of gradually trying to improve things uh, is just fascinating to me so and in many ways then the journey becomes way more important than the destination because that course, one yeah. race win or the second one or third one is just sort of icing on top of the cake uh, but it's really this journey and the process of how do you put one brick on top of each other and uh, try to improve and you know, just tangentially, that that word excellence—that's that's one of my favourite words. But I, it, that's a very different word than elite. So you know, excellence is is a very personal word in many ways because it's it go it crosses all levels. So in a sporting context, you're not just talking about people that are achieving world class performance. Excellence is really a personal quest to to be the best version of yourself, and that could be athletically, that could be. In your health, it could be the best CEO or the best worker that you might be, and so uh, so that resonates with me anyway. Let, let's and while we're on the topic of me, let's let's talk about me. So meeting meeting Purple Patch, getting started uh, with me. I, I remember when we first sat down for a coaching discussion, and um, you know, typically when you sit down with an athlete, you say, "Tell me a little bit about yourself and, and give me any relevant information." I might have a chance to to look at your training program and you you did the world's largest data dump onto me and um, I think you gave me four or five years of data in which you tracked everything about you uh, your sleep your weight your obviously your training uh, for several years when did you first start to track information that was relevant to, to you um that is a good question. I certainly have some scribbles and training logs from perhaps early 1990s, but electronically, um, yeah, it's from late 90s. So now I have near 20 years of effectively daily data, a little bit of a diary and some numbers, what I've done and how I felt. Uh, so it's perhaps it's an obsession, but it's also a very interesting tool to reflect back and you start seeing patterns. When did you feel good? When did you perform well? When did you start getting sick? And you notice like, oh, it's pretty obvious that maybe I was training too much or not sleeping enough. So I found it actually a very useful tool, not just for sports performance, but also for just sort of happiness and health. And what, what were the components of that that you typically track at high level? Because there's, there's subjective and objective yeah. data in there, isn't there? Yeah. Well, I, I do track the obvious things that most endurance athletes track, which is the the time and the distance and what kind of workouts you had. But then I'd say the most important subjective ones for me are uh, two things. One, what is the mood that I have every morning that I wake up? And it's very simple to is Number five is like, I'm ready to take the world. This is the most awesome day in my life. And then one is like, please let me stay in the bed. I don't want to leave. And it's we can talk about that, why I think that's very effective. So that's one, and then I do a little bit a gratitude journal, just write down two or three things every day. Like, what is it that I'm grateful for? And it's amazing when you start smelling the roses, 
<laughs> you start smiling. <laughs> the shift of lens. In every yeah. situation. So those are two sort of examples of subjective things that I write down every day. Oh, that's really, really interesting. And, and coming back to our, your journey at this time of, of Trulia and all of your work compi- uh, commitments, what were, the, what were the biggest challenges, would you say, as you sort of... We started on this journey of saying, look, we want to achieve pretty high performance at, at an amateur level in triathlon. At the same time, you're the COO of, of Trulia, a, a company that was in a high state of growth. At that time, what were the biggest challenges that you've, you've faced? I'd say two things. Um, one is the realization that stress is stress is stress, which is a term that I've learned from you, Matt, uh, which is to say that if you have a stressful day at work, if you walk too late, if you fly too much, um, perhaps you have time zone changes, you have to realize that that stress accumulates and it's no different from a hard workout. So you can't pile stress on top of stress on top of stress and then assume that you become uh, or gain fitness, for example. So that's one, because uh, I had many, many sources of physical and mental stress and so I had to figure that out um, and fit it into my training plan and, and planning. So that was one. And then a two is, particularly as it relates to triathlon stra- training, is, is just logistics. When you're traveling for work, and I had a few years that I was on the road for almost two years, two, 200 days a year. So just figuring out the swims and bikes, and if you're staying in a hotel, you can't do your hour and a half train or workout. You may need to figure something out in you know, 25 minutes on a stationary bike. So I think those were the two uh, things to really pay attention to. And, and you know, obviously already in this conversation, it should be coming across that that you love to um, have ownership, you love to tackle challenges, you're, you're always, uh, I would say, a very engaged actor, athlete or an active participant, as I like to say. So I, I just want to explore for a couple of minutes where you, you see the value of a coach globally. And you, you, in, in your context, obviously, I was your coach, but um, how do you see the value of that? What was the, what was the role that you saw a coach playing in your journey when it comes to either a coach that you may or may not have had in work and life or myself and your coach in triathlon? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, well, I'd say that the first is um, the consolidated truth that you can get from a coach. So I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, when WebMD, this website came up for people were like, oh, doctors are going to go out of business. Uh, and, you know, internet, there's like, unlimited amount of trading information, for example. But usually what ends up happening when you spend an hour on WebMD, you realize that, oh, I have all these thousand symptoms. Now I need to call my doctor and ask what's really going on. <laughs> so for training, it's the same thing. If you Google, you know, Ironman training plan, you'll probably find hundreds, thousands of sources and options. So I think that the number one thing is that if you find someone who is a real expert, has been years figuring out what works it's sort of the this voice of truth uh, and the more noise you have around I think the more you need that otherwise you're just sort of spinning your head around and you don't know what's the true north so I think that's really one important piece and then there's probably the, the second one is the more emotional aspect that uh you don't really always see what's going on with yourself. So just having a little conversation of like, this is how I'm feeling. Am I unfit or am I training too much? Like that might be a simple question to ask, but if you are just in your own head, it's sometimes difficult to know like what's really going on. So you have that outside view 
and it's really helpful. I think it's very, very hard when you are operating at the sort of 1,000-foot daily lens where you are the the athlete executing to be able to raise up and see the full landscape. And um, and uh, it, it's I, I would in, endorse that. Well, you know, it obviously went well for you. Uh, you wouldn't be on the podcast if it didn't go well, but uh, it obviously went well. So truly it went on and, um, and uh, obviously went public which was a a fantastic achievement for you professionally and then the excellence that you achieved in your sport but I remember when we started a a question that you you asked for me where we in fact it was this was really the catalyst for how we set up a lot of our training with very busy people now he said "I, I need to maximize my physical performance within the landscape of my life and I effectively after you going through your exercises which I effectively stole from you um, how do we do this on a budget of 12 hours a week of training that's what I have within context so I don't have 16 I don't have 20 I have 12 hours a week on a regular basis so through your lens what were the key elements in you setting up your training knowing that you had aspirations at Ironman performance but you had at least within context of the big landscape of regular training you had less hours. So what were the key elements for you when you sort of thought about setting up your training? Um, well, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, you only have so many hours a day. And then if you have other uh, responsibilities, you, you truly have a limitation uh, with the time. Um, perhaps, perhaps the biggest revelation for me in terms of training with limited time budget was this mind chain is a sort of a mind shift which is for most endurance athletes including myself when I started triathlon I always had this idea of like well if I can just get a little bit more volume and a little bit more training I'm going to become gradually better and better so you need to ramp up the hours but then I changed my mindset and said hmm if you go to gym and you lift weights you have very very different mindset uh, and the mindset is okay I lifted six times whatever amount of weight and tomorrow day after tomorrow when I go into the gym again can I lift more weights or more reps it's very very visible very few people apply that to endurance training so that's what I, I started doing with, with your help which was I only have this amount of hours how can I make sure that after each workout or at least after each week um, I can actually see progress and work out as hard as I can, but not too hard so that I can see progress. Uh, and it was super, super helpful for me. And then it was surprising to notice that you actually don't need that many hours and you can see your watts go up on the bike, your running pace increase, your, sp- your swimming speed increases in, in the pool. Um, so that was an re- important part for me that I focused on the progress and the improvement as opposed to the process metrics purely, which is like, how many hours did I train this week? Yeah, which cannot be the barometer of success. What about going? What about your mindset going into races? There's a, I think there's a lot of things for athletes as well to look over the garden fence. So look next door, and um, there was no secret. We knew that you were on this training budget, and you could look at yourself and say that I'm improving. But was there any? confidence erosion in yourself of your ability to perform relative to peers that you knew were doing 20 hours a week of training um or did it not affect you at all i I never 
in fact, once I noticed that I started performing, it became uh, almost a confidence building thing. And I remember having these conversations with friends and acquaintances at, in Hawaii at the Kona uh, uh, Ironman World Championships where, you know, age group athletes share how they train 20 to 23, 24 hours a week just to get in there. And I, I just remember always laughing to myself like, that's nuts. I, you know, I maxed out at 12 hours a week. Um, so it became almost like a confidence building thing for me that I knew that I had like a secret <laughs> contrarian approach <laughs> and it's working very well. So I never really worried about what was happening uh, or how somebody else was, was preparing. To me, race events were less about uh, am I the first or the second or the third. It was a stepping stone to learn if the work is paying off. And then one of the practices I've always used is after every single event, I force myself to sit down for at least 15 minutes to write down three things that I can improve. It's this kind of a growth mindset. And you know, if you race six times a year, that's 18 new ideas what you can improve. And if you race five years, that's 90 new ideas. So like my path to whatever performance I've achieved, it wasn't 12 months, you know, a 24 month quick jump. It's five, six, seven, eight years of tiny, tiny steps. Uh, but when you do that, you know, say 90 ideas, uh, suddenly it's starting to add up. And, and and even on the that the tiny tiny steps and we're part of the dictionary as we call it is embrace the journey and that you know it resonates, but the tiny steps people become so fixated on the weekly hours, but if you actually accumulate, in your case your twelve hours for many many months, and ultimately you're getting ready for a single day event that's eight to nine hours in duration in at your performance level that's a lot of training hours to get ready for a single event and that's sort of bringing it up again where it's like that accumulation that layering of training is the thing and I would say for your empowerment you're, um, you're safe in the knowledge that you're always showing up fit and fresh and, and fitness is seldom the limiter and, um, and I would say many people that are within the context of busy lives trying to ram 24 hours a week of training in have a high potential of showing up fit and fatigue, which is, which is very, very hard to ultimately perform on a single day. Um, and I think in that, that, I think there's a really key point to understand. And a lot was written about your sub nine hour performance in, uh, in Hawaii on that regime, 12 hours a week. And I think that the, the key point that comes out of it is not necessarily that to be your best 12 hours a week of training is optimal. It's what's the appropriate training dose within the context of your life. And so when I always reflect on your journey and I look at you and, and what you achieved, it's the key message is you would have failed if you had done 16 hours. At least we can presume that the results wouldn't have been good. And that's a really different thing because I, I, there was a, some kickback a, a, against sort of some of the things that were written about that, that topic to say, you know, they're saying less is more, and uh, and it's actually no. The key is finding the appropriate recipe within context of your your life. But um, let's go down a level. Let's actually start to to blend that approach to training with life. So I want to I want to talk about management a little bit. How how did you manage on a week to week basis? So you have your your work commitments. You obviously have your life commitments, and then you have your training commitments. So 
how did you go about managing planning and managing to make it all work yeah um I actually talk about this a lot in a work context with my team all the time. We say like, how can how can you Sami do all these things? Uh, I I think my two secrets, which really aren't secrets, but there's a lot of discipline around them. It's two things. One, uh, lots of plan planning every Sunday. Uh, so I plan my workouts, work meetings, interviews, and pretty much everything very very accurately to not quite to the minute always but so that's one thing so I, I spend at least an hour every Sunday doing nothing but planning how do I use my time because time to me is the most precious currency we all have and we all have about the same amount yep. in life so that's one two is the discipline of saying no in order to do what you want to do and what you have to do you have to become very good at saying no and what that means in practice is there's so many distractions, whether that's watching TV or catching up with a friend who really isn't a friend, who just wants something from you. Um, you have to learn to say no to, to a lot of things so that what you have left is that what's meaningful for life, whether it's for your training, for your work, for your loved ones or something else. Uh, so those are the two things that I, I found to enable me to do pretty much anything I, I want to do. And then, of course, there's... After that, there's a lot of tactical things what you can do. And if we take one example from triathlon training is um, I became very good at eliminating what I call transaction costs. And in triathlon training, transaction cost is changing your gear and changing this and that. So I did a lot of one-hour workouts where I might do a 10-minute warm-up on a bike, 30-minute uh, interval set on a treadmill, and... In 60 seconds after that, I'm in a pool doing 10 minutes of technique. So it's 60 <laughs> minutes. It's one set, and I just got an amazing workout. In. That that was your uh, always your ability to um, be willing to think out the box on what classical training is, uh, and and maybe this has come out already. But when when you see, it, you probably don't spend much time looking over the fence too too much at other athletes. But when you have sort of really aspirational, performance driven people. What, it, what would you sort of highlight and bubble the, the two or three biggest mistakes that you see? I have mine, but what are the two or three biggest mistakes that you see? So aspirational, very ambitious individuals, two or three biggest mistakes. Um, yeah, so I'd say one is not understanding what's the big stuff to sweat about and get the priorities wrong. And so one example of this would be the importance of overall health like sleep and nutrition should not come at the expense of more training hours for example I think that's one very very important and then I think the ability not to prioritize prioritize the most important things that matter a lot of people are good at work 80 20 you just do the 20% delivers 80%. But when you try to fit in the sports, you can apply exactly the same thing. There's so many things you can be worry, worrying about, but if you focus on the 20% delivers 80%, uh, you start getting amazing results. I don't know, those two just come to mind. Right we, we call that nailing the basics. <laughs> so uh, nailing the basics and don't worry about all the incremental fluff. We'll sort of close out the, the section of the podcast on, um, on 
our planning, our training, our coaching, I'll, I'll tell you a little story of where where I really understood that you that you knew me as a coach and you knew who I who I was and uh, and that was you might remember coming to the Arizona training camp. In fact, you're uh, I think it was 2010 and uh, we had a new pro at that time, uh, Jesse Thomas, who we we forced you to room with and I'll, I'll tell you a story about Jesse later on, but. Uh, we went out on the very first bike ride and we'd been working with each other and um, uh, and we stopped for what we would call a natural break on the side of the road and uh, all of the guys lined up on one side of the road and the female athletes popped into the bushes on the other side of the road to do our natural break and I walked up next to you and you turned to me and you said, Matt, I do not want to place ward fights. <laughs> I said, now you know my intention. Now you know who I am as a coach. <laughs> but back to the serious business. Um, I, I want to do a, a, a couple of minutes on nutrition, actually, because I, you know, a part of your Ironman challenge was fueling the big sa- chassis of yours, and, and especially in 90-degree heat in Hawaii. Uh, there's a reason that, that I call you Sami the Bull. And... Um, I don't want to go into the nitty-gritty of the solutions around your Ironman fueling habits, but what I am interested in is that, is that was that the catalyst of you starting to get really interested in in sugar and the role of nutrition and uh, and the way that the body is fueled and operates and its interaction with sugar? Um, well, the, the heat challenge in Hawaii was certainly a, a complex puzzle for me to try to solve because as a larger athlete and someone who pushes a lot of power on the bike, you generate mm-hmm. proportionate amount of heat uh, and that's a performance limiting factor in Hawaii. That was an interesting puzzle for me to solve. However, what really got me interested in nutrition and eventually led me to sort of discover what sugar does to your body and health in general and generally how the Western uh, nutritional guidelines may not be quite right was the realization that I was actually pre-diabetic myself as a... Oh, well, I, did, I didn't know yeah, that, yeah, actually. I didn't know that. Yeah. So my fasting glucose levels were com- constantly elevated. Um, and then, you know, I kind of went into the positive rabbit hole and started reading science and published evidence and realized that you can actually be insulin resistant even if you are very lean and you exercise, uh, exercise a lot. And then that has sort of become big part of my life now I'm on a mission to try to help a lot of other people through my company new company VertiHealth as well as some uh, non-profit work and awareness work so that's basically what, what happened to me and and in many ways and I'm assuming that that sort of adventure was the was the uh, the stimulus for the big rowing adventure you rowed uh, with Meredith your wife uh, I think 45 days, is that her? 45 days, three hours, deck to deck from yeah, California 45 to days and three hours. How disappointing you didn't break 45 days to get from San Francisco to Hawaii. And you did that on effectively no refined sugars. Yeah, so the, the, the thesis of the row was that um, we've been told that you really cannot exercise. In fact, you shouldn't even go and do a one-hour run without... Gatorade or sports products and gels and sodas and so forth with the idea that muscles need a lot of sugar, your brain needs a lot of sugar. Uh, and we wanted to show the world, and particularly kids and um, younger folks, that that is not true. We wanted to show that you can exercise 16 or 18 hours a day. Um, in fact, about the same amount of 
work as it takes to run two marathons a day, which we then ended up doing 45 days back to back to back to back to back, that you can do that without any sports products and for the most part any kinds of carbohydrates. Um, so that's what we ended up doing. And we didn't only finish, but finished healthy. Uh, we also broke the world record for the speed crossing from California to Hawaii. So that was really the thesis. And uh, now we're living 2018. Pretty much everyone knows that sugar is not just somewhat harmful. It's really, really bad for you. And hopefully we've been tiny, tiny contributor to this awareness with, with that role and all the publicity that these recent studies and results have shown that you shouldn't be really eating much sugar at all. A- absolutely. And and the actual event itself, 45 days, I mean, I can imagine the the emotional challenges uh, and the, the physical challenges. What, what were some of the biggest physical challenges? And, and, and assuming it might have been sort of hands and rowing and, and gripping the oars and things like that. But what, what, were, what did you find the biggest physical challenges? Um, it's, so we were warned before by people, crazy people who had done any kind of ocean rowing, that inflammation, your butt's going to get you, so you're going to lose the skin, you're going to lose the skin from your hands and all kinds of stuff. Actually, it was remarkable for us, and I don't know if it was the diet or if it was the training, or we just got lucky, but we had none of that. So when we finished the row and we had a physician who had seen other ocean rowers before kind of inspect us and go through and do lap work, she was like, you guys look like you just came from a one-hour run after 45 days of exercising, rowing 16, 18 hours a day. So we actually somehow were able to maintain this cycle of work hard but then recover sufficiently that you can do it day in, uh, day out. Uh, but I'd say the the hardest thing for me was to avoid overuse injuries um, and particularly around shoulders and lower back. So uh, fortunately I was able to do that but that was my biggest worry going in. And ocean rowing is not like flat water rowing because it's 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 more like you're getting knocked out all the time with these big waves. Yeah. So I think that, that was a big challenge for for me but we were able to overcome that and you you know we, we spoke earlier a little bit about this as well the you adopted a, a slightly uh, less classic approach to actually approach breaking up the time and, and one of the things that we won't dive into it too much now but you really embrace sleep so you actually blocked off times where you could really sleep rather than going sort of two on two off two on and always having micro sleeps you really embrace sleep which i think is potentially a really important component for that for healing as well yeah yeah so uh, people the crazy people who've done any ocean rowing in in two or more person teams the traditional approach was to row two hours one is rowing the other one resting then you just switch that two on two off for days in or months in months out and my hypothesis going in was this is crazy but you need the deep sleep deep sleep cycles for your body to repair and grow back and produce all the hormones that you need. Um, so I said, well, what if we try to row 16 to 18 hours non-stop, and then we stagger the rowing and sleep so that each of us, two of us, me and my wife, we could sleep at least six or seven hours every day. And uh, it ended up working out super, super well. And of course, given our bodies were so fat adapted, we weren't bonking during that 16 hour near non-stop row but I I sort of relearn again the power and the importance of the health platform and big part of that health platform is, is sleep and so if you don't get that 
after just two or three days, you know, your performance deteriorates dramatically. So I think that was a little innovation that we also had for our role, which allowed us to go long and go very fast. Your, your, your best recovery tool, and it's, it's free, at least uh, from a financial standpoint, sleep. But it, it, it really hasn't been long from following that, at least uh, in my relationship with you. Fast forward, your passion has now become very, very real, Verda Health. Um, so for those that don't know, just give a, a sort of one or two minute background on, on Verda and what you guys uh, are looking to achieve and actually really are achieving. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, we are on a mission to reverse type 2 diabetes in 100 million people by 2025. And uh, why is that important? It's important and significant because today, the 30 million people in America and 450 million globally who have type 2 diabetes that disease is managed. The current standard of care doesn't know that the disease can be reversed. Uh, so we are pumping tens of billions of dollars worth of drugs every year to people living with type 2 diabetes. So Verda is the first company that has a clinically proven treatment to actually reverse the disease safely and sustainably. And that's what we're now trying to do, scale it as fast as possible to save a lot of lives and save a lot of money. And my hope is that we will make Verda as easy to prescribe to patients to actually reverse their disease as it is to prescribe insulin today. Uh, and we're now open and operational in all 50 states in America and treating thousands of patients every day. So still early, but hoping to scale very fast. It's fantastic. It's a, it, it's a wonderful journey to be on. So to, to close, let's, let's go through... Um, Let's come back to the optimized self concept because I, uh, I think that, that holistic side of stuff and, and as you now are a CEO and building a company uh, and you're back on Sporting Quest, Triathlon Quest again, we're going to go and have a crack at an Ironman in a couple of months once again. But, um, but I want to go back to sort of your mindset. What would you say are the key benefits that you get from adopting the athletic mindset when we th- when we apply it purely to daily work so you have this mindset you embrace health and fitness for you at a pretty high level of sport but how do you see that blossom into how you act how you think what your energy is like during the workday what are the biggest benefits that you see yeah this is a super important topic to me personally i'm very 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 passionate about it and the term that i use with my team at Verda, it's like, I talk about sustainable high performance. Sustainable high performance. And I say there's only one kind of performance you should be thinking about professionally. It is sustainable and high performance because, for example, building a company or any professional career, it's not a one-day sprint or one-week sprint. You have to be able to operate at a very, very high level for years to have any kind of an impact. And the challenge that I see in a professional environment is the challenge that Olympic level athletes don't have. So if you go to an Olympic level athlete, they optimize every aspect what they do in order to potentially win that gold medal. So they would never pull all-nighters right before a big workout or right before a big race. So they sort of optimize everything to actually get to that goal. But now you go to a professional environment and you look at sometimes what CEOs or just employees of companies are doing. 
And they completely throw this uh, concept of how do I perform at the elite level out of window by doing things that appear like they are actually high performers. So a good example would be not eating well, not sleeping well, having a lot of stress. That is not the way to be creative, happy in your team, in front of your team, inspiring, and to be able to perform in a sustainable way for years in years out. So to me, you have to think about as a professional, you have to think about how do I deliver a sustainable high performance and steal a page or two from the book of Olympic athletes and look at what they do because your work is no different. If you want to be creative, you want to work hard and be able to do that for years and years out. Couldn't agree best. So, so how do we do it? Uh, people that are saying, yeah, I'm, I'm inspired. Thank you. I want to get going. What, what, what are the two to three things to adopt? The key things, the, 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 what we might call keystone habits to, to, to pull from a, a certain book, The Power of Habit. But what are the first two or three things of someone that are looking to integrate an athletic mindset into this approach? I'll start from number one, which is define what performance means. And this is very, very important because if you take the sport example, Defining performance is not how many hours did I train this week. The performance is how did my fitness improve, whether that's watts or minutes, you know, how fast you can run or how fast you... So define what performance means. And probably in a professional environment is how smart I am, how creative I am, how happy I'm in, in front of my team and that sort of things. So first you have to define what performance means. Unless you're packing peanuts, it probably is not how many hours I can work per week because anyone can work you know, 100, what is it, 44 hours per, uh, 164 hours per, per week. Sure. Or 68. Um, so that would be one. Then second would be just on a practical level, in order to perform in a sustainable way, you'll probably have to optimize sleep, nutrition, and overall sources of stress first. Otherwise, you just cannot uh, perform well. So I'd say those are the two things. Be clear what performance means in a professional environment if you are particularly if you're a white collar job and then two is what are the i guess you call them the foundations of the, the pillars basics, of performance the, the pillars of performance and think about those uh, and then you can do all this like so how i you know what kind of email client do i use to be fast and what kind mm-hmm. of meetings do i run but that's sort of the icing on top of the cake it's fantastic all right we have some quick fire questions so these are the questions that we're going to ask every guest and uh, reactionary gut one sentence maybe one word are you ready absolutely we have ready to a, go. Uh, we have a uh, eight questions here number one what's the biggest challenge for a time-staffed high performer faces saying no what's your number one performance habit to help your daily energy in the workplace super easy to sleep Training, listen to music, focus on the task, or troubleshoot work problems? Uh, high intensity work is very easy. I immerse myself in the pain and try to feel and enjoy it. No music. Good man. What do you wish you had more of? Uh, nothing. I'm super happy with what I have. Training, fly solo or surround yourself with a crowd? Uh, for the most part, 
solo it is for time start person it is so much easier name one to two characteristics of an elite performer that you see across disciplines um one definitely growth mindset so every step every race is just an opportunity to learn as opposed to the end of itself and then two ability to truly enjoy the process of millions of steps and thousands of hours who has been your biggest mentor um uh, it's going to be my now late grandmother and a very simple piece of advice you build your reputation over decades you destroy it in minutes think about it fantastic and the final one one tip for travel for travel um don't compromise your pillars of performance so i'll say sleep again figure out how you can sleep while you travel fantastic sami thank you very much i really appreciate it the journey so far um as much it's uh, i think that for a coach you learn from every athlete and you learn from world class athletes and and certainly for me um i learn from a world class performer both in business life and uh, and sports so thank you very much for spending time with us it was tremendously fun and uh, i really appreciate it yeah thank you so much and uh, we can go and have a sword fight we will go and have a sword fight on wooden nutwood cheers mate take care thanks so much for listening this has been the purple patch podcast If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcasts link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers.